Hello, and welcome to State of Crime. One state, two murders, lots of crime with Kaylin and Elena, and we're back to our normal routine. We are. At long last. So, it's weird because we recorded all four of our Atlanta child murders in one day, so yes. we, it's been two weeks since we've seen each other. I know, and we're all like, yay, I've missed you! Because <laughs> we're nerds. Right. And so it's weird because I don't feel like it's been that long, but at the same time, I do feel like it's been that long. I know. It's weird like when I don't see you every week. It really does kind right. of like throw throws off my whole routine right. now. So Right. I'm very used to this. Well, you told me I had to choose. Yes. And so I was struggling trying to think of a state. <laughs> and um, I am just finishing Stephen King's book on writing with my creative writing class. So I was like, let's go to Maine. Okay. Which is where Stephen King lives. And I love him. And so I just randomly started looking at murders in Maine. Never doubt the power of synchronicity. Okay. I have another German immigrant. Oh, Jesus. I have axe murders. <laughs> it's historical. Damn. I know. Look at you go. Just totally without trying. That's I'm telling insane. You, it is. It is. Honestly, yeah. it's weird. That's fantastic, though. It is. And then... When I first started it, I, I you know I saw German, I saw axe murders, I saw it was you know back in the 1800s. I'm like, okay, I have to do this, but at first I couldn't find very much, and so I was like, oh, this is going to be really sparse. And then when I changed from trying to search based on the name of the murderer to these are known as the you're going to love this name. Mm -hmm. I love this name, the Smutty Nose Island Murders. <laughs> Jesus, okay. <laughs> Best name ever. Right. There was tons of stuff, and it opened up whole new waves of synchronicity. So this has been crazy. This is exciting. Mm -hmm. And I have decided I know why I like historical murders more. Why? Well, and I was listening to another podcast. I only listened to a little bit of it covering these same, the same murders I'm going to cover today. And they were discussing why one of one of them liked historical mur murders more and it had to do with the fact that you know, everyone's dead and gone and you don't have to feel that same guilt I guess and pathos about the people still lingering you get that distance of time and you just feel like I don't know I feel just... like it for especially for you it probably helps with the separating out of the emotional side of it exactly and because you don't have to worry because like we have come across cases like we just got another email from a family member mm -hmm. of somebody that we had covered and so I think that's probably where you're getting at is not yes. having the emotional connection to it right. because these people are no longer alive, alive. Yeah. and you right. just, and you don't feel like people are being affected by it the same way right. you know even if it is part of their family history there's still I think that I don't, like I said, that distance, that time to heal, it doesn't feel so immediate and raw right. and open and painful. So another reason that I thought this case was really interesting is it had it's associated with some of the first true crime writing, actually. And Ooh. yeah, and there's um, a woman named Celia Thaxter. So my murders take place. It, it, this is one of those cases that could have gone either way. 
because it takes place, Smutty Nose Island is part of what's known as the Isles of Shoals. And they're right between New Hampshire and Maine. And so a lot of this actually does take place in New Hampshire, technically. Mm -hmm. But the trial and everything takes place in Maine. So okay. that's why I put it under there. But so Celia Thaxter, who I kind of got all kinds of fascinated with as well, she grew up on the Isle of Shoals, the Isles of Shoals, and had lived there. And then she got married and moved to Boston. And then she and her husband, she was only 16 when she got married. Jesus. Yeah. And they grew apart. Big surprise. And so she ended up moving back to Appledore, which is the largest of the Isles of Shoals. And she was actually there the morning after these murders occurred and the one, the only survivor of the murders, she was with her and talked to her. And then the crimes take place in March of 1873. Jesus, okay. Yeah. And in May of 1875, she writes a very lengthy article for the Atlantic Monthly Magazine, which you can still find online. Well, that's cool. Yeah. And it's, I would definitely say look it up. It's very long. Um, it's very flowery. She's very, um, she goes out of her way to really to speak kindly of the victims, but almost too much. Do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Reading it from a modern sensibility. Yeah. It, it, but it's still interesting. And then I also found out that um, it was, this crime became the basis for a novel that was published in 1997 by Anita Shreve, who's a pretty well-known writer. She wrote a book called Weight of Water, and then it was made into a movie in 2000 starring Sean Penn. So it's ha this is one of those murders that has a lot of reverberations in the public imagination, even though I'd never heard of it. Right, neither so, have I. Yeah. So. so like I said, the Isles of Shoals are off the coast of New Hampshire and Maine. I'm going to be mentioning the city of Portsmouth, New Hampshire, quite a bit okay. as well. Um we're going to open our story with John Hontvent and his wife, Marin. Now, so, most of the sources said that John Hontvent came from Norway, probably in his late teens, started working as a fisherman, which in New England in the 1800s, that's what you do. Right. Um, he becomes successful enough that sometime later he sends for a wife from Norway. And it seems like his marriage with Marin was probably some sort of an arranged marriage. And she is a few years older than he is as well. Despite all of that, they are a very, very happy, happy couple. Everyone, um, even aside from Celia Thaxter, agrees on that, that, you know, he was a very hard-working work fisherman. She was the ideal housewife of the time. And they moved to Smutty Nose Island, and they are the only people living there. Now, Smutty Nose is tiny. It is six miles off the coast of New Hampshire, even though technically it's a part of Maine. It was named by fishermen, and I had to know how the hell <laughs> right. do you get a name like Smutty Nose Island, which cracked me up. But um, apparently there's lots of seaweed that 
accumulates on these rocky shores and they said it looks like the smutty nose or the dirty nose of some large sea animal poking up from the oh. ocean. So that's how it gets its name. It's the third largest of these Isles of Shoals. The largest is Appledore, which I mentioned that's where Celia Thaxter lived. And Appledore is going to play into our story as well. The second largest is Star Island. Today, nobody lives there. It's not populated at all, although people do still visit. It's still a tourist attraction. Um, and it had been, it was famous prior to these murders. In 1813, there was a Spanish ship that wrecked there and there was I guess there's a um a graveyard of some of the sailors who died gotcha. at that time as well there so the island itself is only about 25 square acres which it's half a mile long and not quite that wide so, so it's tiny yeah I mean you could easily you know walk it in no time right, right? so John does very well as we said working as a fisherman um he eventually owns his own schooner called the Clarabella, and he and Marin fall into the routine, again, very typical of the time. At dawn, he would head out to the fishing grounds, draw his trawl lines, and then after he gets the fish in, he would sail to market in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, sell his catch, buy the bait for the next day, and then head home bait his lines, start the whole routine again. Marin, who's who is described as being a small, lovely woman, small but not frail, which I thought was an interesting description, right, Yeah, <laughs> is an excellent housekeeper. Everyone agrees she has a little bit of an artistic flair when it comes to decorating their home. The house they live in is known as the Red House, and she keeps plants and things like that inside and there are a few other buildings on the island but they are abandoned rundown fish sheds nobody lives there they were used I guess in the past and then not anymore and for a while um, apparently they move to uh, Smutty Nose Island in 1868 okay and it, for a while, it's just them and their dog, Ringa. I think that's how you say it. It's R-I-N-G-E, and I'm assuming it's got kind of that Norwegian or, you know, flair. And um, they're living on the island, and nearby there is a man. And I guess because these islands are so small and tightly packed, like, you can literally yell <laughs> from one island to the next, you know, yeah. and people will hear you. So there's another guy in the area, 28-year-old named Louis Wagner, who is from Germany, had been in the country about eight years apparently. And Marin and John are very kind to him. So he's working on the surrounding islands also as a fisherman, but he's often falling on hard times. He's not doing great. Um... He is actually from an area of Germany that is known as Prussia, which a lot of people mistake for Russia. It's in the very far northeastern corner of Germany. And a lot of the German stereotypes we have of Germans as being fairly emotionless, a little bit cold, very, very strict and structured, those are all very Prussian stereotypes. Gotcha. 
So he's dark and muscular. He's not unattractive. Like, you know, he seems like women usually responded to him very well. And the haunt vents, like I said, are very kind to him, even though other people describe him as being kind of lurky, like when he's in social situations, he hangs out on the edges, doesn't really interact very well with people, and seems to kind of be eavesdroppy, like will listen but pretends not to. And that's a description that came up a lot. So, Great. yeah. At any rate, John and Marin still are very kind. They often feed him, you know, when he doesn't have enough money to buy food. And by, it seems like around 1870-ish, 1871, um, he is working for John. And so they get very, very close, actually. And even Louis Wagner himself says that he was as close as a brother to John and Marin. Damn. Yeah. But I bet he killed them. We're going to get there. Okay. okay. So, <laughs> um, and... So like I said, Marin and John are quite happy, although Marin's very lonely, as you can imagine. She spends long hours By on herself. the island, right, with just the dog, Ringa. And so in May of 1871, her sister Karen arrives, and it cracks me up that we have Marin and Karen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Karen was about 29 years old, and everyone describes her, especially Celia Thaxter in her piece, as having this air of sadness around her. Apparently, she had lover, maybe a fiancé, probably a fiancé, who had died back in Norway, and she had just never recovered. So when she comes to um, America, she lives with John and Marin for a very short time, and then she's over on Appledore Island, which is very, very close by, um, and works as a maid there. Okay. And it seems like that's how Celia Thaxter got to know them, is my understanding. Okay. In On the 12th of October, 1872, so the following year, um, Marin gets even more company when her brother Ivan arrives with his wife, I think you pronounce it Anetha, maybe Anetha. Okay. Sorry. Um, and they've only been married less than a year at the time. Ivan is just madly in love with her, with her, and she's describing everyone as just being beautiful. She's got, you know, the typical Norwegian blonde hair, blue eyes, and they said that like when she unbraided her hair, it reached her knees. Like Damn. it was just, yeah. I wish my hair was that long. <laughs> <I know>. Jesus. <laughs> In addition, Matthew Hontvet, who is John's brother, had also come to the United States. So both of them are bringing over their families, which is part of the immigrant story, very usual. Matthew and Ivan both fish with John aboard the Clarabella. And eventually, Louis Wagner also becomes part of this group. And so <clears throat> back in June of 1872, Louis Wagner had actually moved in with John and Marin, and he was working with John aboard the Clarabella. And I guess that summer or sometime, he also got very sick with rheumatism, which seemed kind of odd to me because he's in his late 20s. I don't know what that is. 
my understanding rheumatism is like arthritis oh. kind of. So I thought that was kind of odd, but maybe working as a fisherman, I'm sure it's very hard on you physically, but he's ill for a while and unable to work and they take care of him. Damn. So I mean, these are kind people. Like and then he fucking kills them. Yeah, well. Fucking dead. <laughs> so Matthew arrives from Norway, like we said. Ivan and Anatha also arrive. And so the house gets a little crowded. And so Louis continues living with them for five weeks after the arrival of Ivan and Anitha. But he eventually gets a job on another boat called the Addison Gilbert, and he leaves Smutty Nose Island in November of 1872. Now, this is where our story might have ended, right? We have this lovely couple. They are bringing their family over from Norway. They have a successful business. They've helped this poor other German immigrant get on his feet. But... The Addison Gilbert wrecks and is destroyed. And so Louis Wagner ends up back in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, working at the wharves. And so basically my understanding is, you know, you either had settled employment on one of these fishing ships or you just kind of hung around the wharves and then like you helped when the boats came in. And that was a much more kind of hand to mouth existence. Yeah. So, you know, work wasn't as steady. So by March of 1873, he is described as being destitute. He, you know, his clothes are raggedy. He's behind on his rent in the boarding house where he lives. And that's going to lead us to our fateful day of the 5th of March, 1873. Why didn't he just go back and ask for a job? They probably would have given it to him. They sound like nice people. Why didn't he just go back and be like, hey, the ship wrecked. Do you have something for me? Well. <laughs> Instead of being like, I'm going to, because I know where this is going. He then <laughs> ends up bumming it for a while. He doesn't have any money. And now he's going to go kill these people, steal their money, and then try to run away. So what's going to happen? I call, I'm calling it now. You're very, very close. So that day, John, his brother Matthew, and Marin's brother Ivan are all out fishing as usual. Marin is home with Anitha, as had become their new routine. Now, what was out of the normal routine is that Karen, Marin's sister, mm -hmm. is also there. She's not working. She had just left her job on Appledore Island and she had secured employment working with a sewing machine in Boston, Massachusetts as a seamstress. And that was supposed to be much easier work physically. So this was a step up for her. And while, so she had left that job. She was just staying with um, her sister before leaving for Boston. Okay. All right. And so, and in fact, Marin had wanted her to get these particular buttons that I guess she could only find in Boston for whatever reason. And she had put one in Karen's purse to remind her, you know, hey, when you get to Boston, buy me some of these buttons. That's going to become important later. So now normally the three men, if all three of them couldn't come home from shipping, at least one or two of them was there to stay with the women. This night, nobody came home. Nobody comes home. The winds are unfavorable. And so when they were out on the fishing grounds, John had met up with a guy named Emil Ingebertson, 
who lives also on Appledore Island. And they had, you know, exchanged pleasantries. And John had asked Emil to tell the women, hey, you know, we've run into some problems with the weather and stuff. We might not make it home. And so Emil did take the message, hey, you know, if they get to Portsmouth and the weather's not good, they're just going to spend the night in Portsmouth. They won't be back. And so early in the evening, the Clarabella docks in Portsmouth. And who's work, working the wharves and helps bring the ship in, the boat in, but Louis Wagner. And as he's helping them to get the boat in, he asks John if he was going home that evening. And John replied that yes, he would if the bait arrived in time in Portsmouth for them to get the bait and take it back to the island. Okay. And he said, if the bait arrives late, we're going to stay here in Portsmouth. We'll bait our trawl lines. It's going to take all night. And he offers uh, Louis Wagner a job. He says, come help us. And obviously he's going to pay him. Right. Right. However, Wagner finds out that the bait is late, but rather than taking this legitimate offer of employment, he also knew that John had recently sold a lot of his fish and had cleared somewhere in the neighborhood of five to $600. The amounts seemed to vary somewhat. Which sounds like nothing, but... But back then, that was... I can't remember. I saw what the equi equi uh, sorry, equivalent was. I mean, that was a ton of money right. in 1873. Right. I think they said that was like almost a year's wages for a fisherman. Damn! Yeah, so it was good money. Damn. So back at on Smutty Nose Island, uh, Marin, Anatha, and Karen sat up until 10. And then they realized, hey, the men aren't going to make it home... So we're just going to go to bed. And so they had set up, so they used chairs and put like push chairs together to support a mattress. And that's where Karen was going to sleep. And then, <clears throat> sorry, and that was there in the kitchen. And then right off the kitchen was a bedroom. And that's where um, Marin and Anatha were going to share a bed and sleep together. So... They all retire. They don't even bother like to shut the curtains or lock the doors because they're the only ones on the island, right. right? And they don't know for sure, hey, maybe the men will come home sometime during the night. You know, they still aren't sure. Louis Wagner is not seen after 7.30 p.m. in Portsmouth, okay? That's the last time that he is seen. And... We know from later events that what he does is he steals a dory, which is a type of rowboat. And the author, or sorry, not the author, the owner had just replaced the thole pins. So the thole pins are part of what helps with the rows, you know, the, the oars. The oars, thank the you, rows. the rows. <laughs> <laughs> the oars and the little things, you know, that hold the oars in place. Uh -huh. And that's also. We know so much about boats. Yeah, we do. No. <laughs> Anyway, and so he steals this boat, and he rows 12 miles to Smutty Nose. Now, to you and not me, 12 miles rowing is a lot. For him, it was nothing. It did. It does take about three hours, 
but it is a trip that he and others in the area, like I said, it's just part of life, right? right. So it's not undoable. And so obviously his plan is he knows that John has cleared the $600. He's thinking, hey, the guys aren't home. I'll row out there, steal the money, come back. The problem is Karen. Had it just been Marin and Anetha in the house, in that bedroom, I think things would have turned out very differently. So when he gets to the island, he sees that the house is dark, the curtains are up. He goes to the kitchen door, tries it, opens easily, and Ringa barks. Does he kill the dog? No. Oh, thank God. Okay, yeah. This is, spoiler alert, the dog lives. Great. Um... So he enters the kitchen, Ringa barks, this wakes up Karen, who's like, John, is that you? Marin also wakes up and calls out from her bedroom, Karen, is something wrong? She hears Karen say, John scared me, because of course she just assumes that it's her brother-in-law returning right. home. And that's when Louis attacks. No! He grabs a chair and just smashes it into her. Oh my God. She gets up, of course, you know, trying to struggle. And when he enters the kitchen, because he knows this house very well, he had lived there, he takes a small piece of wood and he puts it in the bedroom door so that they can't open and come out. I'm thinking that he had done that thinking that he was going to go in and steal the money, right? Lock them in the bedroom and then leave. You, right. you see what I'm saying? But because Karen's there, that ruins the plan. So he's beating her with this chair. Um, Marin is yelling and screaming and trying to get the door opened. Agnetha is just freaking out apparently and is frozen in fear. He smashes Karen again, and this time she falls against the bedroom door so hard that it it opens it. So even the little piece of wood that he had shimmied in there, Didn't yeah, yeah, fails. She falls at Marin's feet, and then he kind of like, I guess, hits with the chair again and hits both of them. So Marin ends up with quite a bad bruise on her face. Um, and... She manages to get Karen and pull her into the bedroom and manages to get the door shut again. And this time, she's the one who's trying to jam it, you know, to keep it shut. Yeah. Meanwhile, she's trying to help poor Karen, who I think, you know, my thought is she must have had a concussion at the very least. Very least. She must have been, <clears throat> excuse me, pretty badly wounded from this beating with the chair. You'll see mm -hmm. why, you know, in what's to come. So Marin's trying to help Karen, who's kind of like partly on the bed and partly on the floor. You know, she can't quite walk. And Marin is yelling at Anetha to go out the window and to run to the shore and scream for help. Because she's thinking, you know, I guess they're close enough to, especially Appledore Island, that if she yells, people will hear her. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but Anetha is frozen. Marin's trying to help Karen. Can't get her to do it. Finally, she gets Anetha to go out the window, and Anetha gets out the window, and as she does, Louis had left the house, and he comes around the corner and sees her standing there, and Anetha screams, Louis, Louis, Louis. He has now an axe in his hands that he had grabbed from the wood pile as he left the house, 
and he brings it down and cleaves her in the head. And probably that one blow was enough to kill her, but he just continues attacking her. And poor Marin is right there. She said she was close enough she could have reached out and grabbed his arm, but there's nothing she can do. She's trying to get Karen up and out the window. Louie, in the meantime, after he finishes off poor Anatha, runs back around to come through the door of the house. Now, why he didn't just come through the window, I really don't understand. Also, why would Marin trying to be getting Karen out the window if... if yeah. If well, she, you know I think I mean? he attacked and then ran back to get into the house, which again, I don't know. They're strange. Yeah, they're, this part is a little strange. And that there's some conspiracy theories here that we'll talk about later, but I don't believe them. And okay. most people don't. So at any rate, Louis goes back and now he's trying to get into the bedroom. Um, Marin is trying to get her sister up and through the way. And Karen just says, no, too tired and won't move. And that's when Marin realizes... I got to leave or I'm going to die. Right. And so she grabs a heavy skirt that I, I'm assuming she had, you know, worn or whatever. Cause that it's cold. It's March. It's new England. There's still snow and ice on the ground. So she grabs this <clears throat> heavy skirt and kind of wraps it around her. And she and Ringa head out the window. Ringa's now not barking anymore. Um, and they have to walk through the blood soaked snow where poor Nathan's laying and she said the ice and the snow is just ripping at her feet because it's cold. And mm -hmm. then the ice, you know how it is in yeah. March when it's old, crusty and yeah. everything. She immediately runs down to the cove because she's thinking, okay, this is where, this is how Louis Wagner got here, right? He rode here. His boat's going to be in the cove. Unfortunately, it wasn't. He had gone another route and had hidden his boat because he didn't want anyone to see it. So she gets there. There's no boat. Ugh. So she realizes, you know, she's really in for it now. So there, this is also where all those old fishing sheds are. And so she thinks maybe I should go in the cellar of one of those and hide. But then she's like, no, because that's he'll think that that's where I went. So she keeps running along the shore to the far side of the island. And there's like these two rocks and there's like a crevice between them. She wedges herself between those. Um, and as she was running, she could hear Karen's cries. And I'll tell you what happened to Karen in just a minute. So she just wedges herself beneath these rocks. Ringa is with her. And she just kind of cowers there. And the one big rock is now known as Marin's Rock. And that's one of the places that people like to visit. Gotcha. Meanwhile... Back at their house, um, Louis has gotten has broken into the bedroom. He still has the axe. He swings it. He hits Karen. He goes to swing it again, hits the windowsill, and it breaks. The handle and the head break and fall to the floor. And so he takes his handkerchief, wraps it around Karen's neck, and strangles her with it. Oh, yeah, awful. He then apparently leaves and does go try to find Marin. And he does, in fact, go to the fishing sheds, looks in the cellars, can't find her. And so after a while, decides he's going to he's got to get back to the house because, you know, I mean, like I said, it took him three hours to get there. Um, he we know. Well, I'll tell you in a minute. So when he gets back to the house, 
this is what's also just crazy when you think about the other axe murderers that I've covered in the past. He brews a pot of tea, leaves a bloody handprint on it, and apparently he had brought food with him from Portsmouth, but he uses their dishes and he sits down and eats. And next to him is the bloody corpse of a Natha that he had dragged back into the house. He took her inside? Yes. Why? I don't really know. He also ransacks the house looking for the $600 that he came for, only finds and steals 15 And apparently the money was in the house, but it was in a chest and it was layered between sheets. So for whatever reason, he doesn't find it. Also, he's in a hurry, he's panicked, and so on. Next to poor Natha's body is a broken clock which stopped at seven minutes past one in the morning, which is when his attack on Karen commenced. So by now, you know, the sky is lightning. He knows he needs to get the hell out of there because it's going to take him three hours, right? To get back. Yeah, yeah. to get back to for where, he, where he came from. Marin is still out there. She's been out there most of the night. Um, very, very cold. Of course, her feet are just torn up from the snow and the ice. Around 8 in the morning, she finally decides that she needs to leave her hiding place and try to get help. She comes out of hiding. Um, There's fishermen off the coast there, and she's like screaming and yelling, but they don't see her. So she goes back to the place on the island that's closest to Appledore Island. And as she does, she passes her own house, and now she can see that the curtains are drawn and everything. And she gets there, and she's yelling and screaming, and the children of George Ingerbredson are outside playing. They see her, hear her, um, and so George Ingerbredson gets his boat. It's only a quarter mile to get to her, so, so close. very close, right. right? He gets to Marin. You know, she tells him what happens. He takes her back home to his wife. Celia Thaxter, who wrote that initial article, talks about that she saw him, you know, going back and forth from where she was. She ends up going over to their house and is one of the first people to be with poor Marin. Um, Eventually, the men return home, John and Ivan and Matthew, and they go into the house and they see the carnage. And Ivan sees his wife lying there on the floor, just a bloody, horrific mess, and he is never the same. Oh, They said he stayed into the next year, um, and, well, I think, no, that summer, sorry, the summer of 1873, they said for the next several months he works as a carpenter, he wouldn't make eye contact with people, just keeps his head down. He eventually went back to Norway and just Jesus. was a broken man. Yeah. Um, so Louis Wagner that morning had rode back to New Hampshire. He stashes his boat in a little community, Newcastle, walks a few miles to Portsmouth. And when he gets to Portsmouth, people can see that he's, you know, disheveled. He's a mess. Um, later his shirt is found in an alleyway, all bloody. And then of course they testify that it is in fact his blood. And then even though he looks disheveled and he's kind of incoherent, he hops the morning train to Boston. Now, when he gets to Boston, he suddenly has money. 
He pays for a shave. He shaves off his beard completely so he looks different. He buys new clothes and new boots. And this is also weird because when he's buying the boots, one of his old ones is laying there on the floor. And he says to the shoe salesman, I've seen somebody lay as still as that boot. You know, so he's just being weird and creepy. Creep. Yeah. Called it. Um, there were reports he stops at a boarding house, which sounds like it might have been more like a house of ill repute and visited a sex worker or two. Um, and very, you know, so that same day, the Boston police catch up to him because, you know, you have Marin and everybody saying, Hey, alive. yeah, it's this Louis Wagner killed these people. Go find him. Right. So the Boston police come in and take him down to the station. And when they do, he doesn't even ask why he just goes with them. Although he will never confess to the murder, by the way. But it's pretty clear he did it. So he's taken to the station. And as they're moving him, so they take him by train. And this is where it got kind of weird because there are reports of two lynch mobs that almost get their hands on him. So, I mean, people are outraged. You know, the fishing community is fairly small. So the first lynch mob, one report I said I saw said 200 people, another said 500. And so I'm not sure, but they almost get their hands on him. And um, I guess the, the police, even a couple of the police kind of get roughed up. But then they, you know, back the crowd backs off because they don't want to hurt the policemen. And then later on, there's another lynch mob. And again, the numbers varied from 2,000 to 10,000. So Jesus. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, so eventually though, he is put on trial in Alford, Maine, which is a fairly small, sleepy community, but that's who has jurisdiction over Smutty Nose Island. He's put on trial June 9th, 1873. You will like this. It's a short and sweet trial. There are nine days of testimony. The jury deliberates for 55 minutes. <laughs> He's found guilty. Good. Somehow, he breaks out of jail within a week, but he's very shortly recaptured in New Hampshire. And on June 25th, 1875, 27 months after the crime was committed, so again, I know you approve of this, mm -hmm. he is hanged in prison at Thomaston, Maine. I feel like they should have just hung him right then and there. Well, yeah. Well, that's what the lynch mob wanted to do. But, I mean, too yeah. bad they didn't get their hands on him. Yeah, but they did not. And then... Marin and John Hontvet move to Portsmouth. They never return to Smutty Nose Island, which you can imagine. You, I don't know how you could ever want to live in that house again. Right. Um, and John does continue work as a fisherman, but they they live there. Now, a couple uh, sometime later, there were a couple of like I said of conspiracy theories, and one of them is what Anita Shreve focuses on in her novel weight of water okay and the most i love conspiracy theories. i know oh okay I'm so there rumors circulate that a woman confesses on her deathbed that she had killed her sister and sister-in-law so the the conspiracy theory is that Marin herself murders her sister and sister-in-law and that somehow there'd been some sort of a weird love triangle or whatever with Louis Wagner huh. and that then that goes sour. So Marin kills these other two women who are 
also like love rivals for him. Does that make sense? Yes. So the, and, yeah. Yes. The, so the so theory the is that theory the three, makes sense, the, but yeah. the theory does not make sense. No, exactly. You know what I mean? At all. And so, and it's, I mean, they said, you know, everyone who's ever seriously investigated, there's absolutely no, no evidence. So, I mean, Louis Wagner killed these women, period, right. the end. And, you know, Anita Shreve made a great novel out of it. And then there's an interesting movie, but. That was a good one. That's the Smutty Nose Murders. And like I said, I'm back to German immigrants, axe murders, eating food after you kill people. Fucking weird. I don't know. It's weird. Fucking weird. It's weird. It is very strange when people just decide that. I mean, they've got, apparently they worked up an appetite. They're probably fucking hungry. I guess. You know what I mean? It's got to take a lot of energy to fucking kill people. I guess so. You know what I mean? Yeah, and then drag their bloody corpses back into the kitchen. Right. Like, why? That doesn't make any sense to me That didn't make sense to me either. Especially because if he supposedly didn't go in there to kill them, he Mm. just went in there to steal the money, why would he... Which is my working theory. I mean, right. it just makes sense that, especially since he entered, he shimmies the wood into the bedroom door. You know what I mean? It just mm-hmm. seems like that was his original intent because he wouldn't have known, I don't think, that Karen was there. Right. Even though he had met the men and talked to them at the wharf, it he, the conversation was just, are you going home tonight? Yeah. You know? So yeah, just that doesn't make any sense to me on why if he if he didn't have any intention on going in there and actually killing anybody, why would he then take the body of somebody that he did kill? And maybe maybe it was remorse or something, and he was like, oh, she's out in the cold, but possibly you know know, because he did know these people. And Karen, I believe Karen's body was kind of shoved under the bed, so there are like you're saying, yeah, like a shame of. You know what he had done. But. Yeah, if he if he really just didn't have the intent, and for some reason yeah. everything else just kind of took over, maybe he was ashamed, or maybe he did feel bad that like mm-hmm. fuck, I fucking did mm-hmm. this. Yeah, and, and drawing just... the curtains and you know mm-hmm. all of that stuff does seem to yeah. show that. So that is that was a good one. Thank I you. I guess I really got into this one. I have to say, I got I was like, whoa, there's and like I said, it was one of those that at first I was like, oh, I don't know how I'm gonna. How am I going to spin this, uh-huh. you know? And then as I got into it, I was like, oh my gosh, there's a ton of stuff here. So Yeah, that was a good one. I yeah. enjoyed that one. Me too. All right, so we'll be back Thursday for mine. Going back to Maine. We are, which I'm actually excited about this one. Good. This is one of the few that I almost, God, I hate that I'm about to say this. I almost agree with the murderer. Ooh, Okay. So I'm stoked about this. Okay. This is going to be a good one then. Yeah. All right. So if you are listening out on Apple product, make sure you go into your Apple podcast and rate and review us. It helps us out a lot. And you can, I don't know if anybody's figured out how to rate or review on Stitcher, but that would be cool if somebody wanted to figure that out and tell us how to do it. Because I looked and I don't, I'm just not, not there. But also make sure you join our Facebook discussion group. And if you have any suggestions, you can email us at stateofcrimepodcast at gmail.com or you can just message our Facebook page. That's cool too. And check out our Instagram and our Twitter, which I'm slacking on again, and I'm sure you are too. And is that everything? I think that's I think everything. I got it. Yeah. All right. So until next time. <laughs>